0: We're here this morning because throughout all of history, death has been humanity's public enemy number one. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, My name's Luke. I get to be one of the ministers here at Plainfield Christian Church. If you're new with us today, or if you are joining us online this morning, welcome. Uh, We're glad that you're here. We look forward uh, to meeting you. Um, I'm also a dad, and so I recognize, y'all look good this morning. Y'all look really good. Can I just say that? You clean up, okay? And I know, like Sunday mornings in our house, I don't know if your house is like this, but Sunday mornings can be complete anarchy. I don't know about you guys, but it just, I know the sheer amount of chaos you had to endure to get looking this good and get here on time. So well done. We are glad that you're here. Here and because I'm a dad, um, have you heard the one about the burglar? Uh, the burglar who breaks into this house late at night and he's shining his flashlight around, he's looking for something to steal, you know, and all of a sudden he hears a voice Jesus is watching. What in the world, you know? So he turns the flashlight off, he's listening, waits for a few minutes, doesn't hear anything, so he clicks his flashlight back on, he's rummaging around looking for stuff, and he hears the voice again Jesus is watching. What in the world? You know, so he starts shining the light all over looking for who this mysterious person is hiding in the dark and all of a sudden the beam of the flashlight lands on a parrot in his cage. <laughs> and he's thinking, oh, <laughs> just, a, just a little old bird. I'm, I'm fine, I'm good. And, and he lets the light drop and there the beam of the flashlight illuminates. There's a Rottweiler sitting next to the bird's cage. <laughs> and the bird says, Jesus is watching. Sick him, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lame joke. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> Here's the point. We're here this morning because throughout all of history, death has been humanity's public enemy. Number one, death is undefeated. Nobody beats death throughout all of history. The score is death. A hundred billion and humanity zero, right? That's the bad news. But the good news is that before death ever got a grip on his creation, God put a plan in motion to rescue the world. God looked down at the world that he loves. He looked down at these people that he loves and God said, sick him, Jesus. And God sent his son, Jesus, from heaven to earth and he came here to walk among us and he lived the life that we could not live and he died the death on that cross that we should have died. And just when it looked like death had won, three days later, the son of God came back to life. Yeah. (laughs) And today, Jesus is in heaven. He is alive. He is seated on his throne at the right hand of God the Father, and he is reigning over everything as king of the universe. And one day, he will return to make all things new. That is the good news that we celebrate here every single week. And there's something that the followers of Jesus have done for centuries to celebrate that good news. I want to do it with you this morning, but I'm going to need a little bit of audience participation. I am going to say, Christ is risen. And if you believe that this morning, then every time I say that today, I want you to respond to me by saying he is risen indeed. Can we do that? All right, let's try it. Here we go. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Well done. Well done. So if that is the truth, if Jesus really is alive, the question I want to ask together with you this morning is why does that matter? So what, what difference does it make for your everyday life that Jesus is actually alive? Uh, Back in the early 20th century, there were three Jewish psychologists in Europe who decided to dive deep into those kinds of fundamental questions of human life here on this earth, like why we do what we do, what motivates us. And two of those psychologists were well-known, they were masters in their field, but the third psychologist was just a young apprentice. The first psychologist, you might recognize his name, his name was Sigmund Freud. And Freud devoted himself to uh, mining the depths of human behavior, figuring out what makes us tick. And, and Freud theorized that the thing that is behind all the decisions we make as human beings in this life is our drive for pleasure. We wanna be happy, that's why we do what we do. The second psychologist was a guy by the name of Alfred Adler. And Alfred Adler uh, devoted himself to the study of human behavior too. He wanted to answer these questions just like Freud, but he disagreed with Freud. He said, no, I think our fundamental human drive as human beings isn't pleasure. Adler said, what's behind all the decisions we make is the drive for power, okay? And the third psychologist, he was a guy named Viktor Frankl. And before Viktor Frankl's career as a psychologist really had a chance to take off, World War II broke out. Now, remember, these are Jewish psychologists, and they're in Europe. And so Freud and Adler, because they were well-known, they managed to escape and get out of harm's way, but not Viktor Frankl. Victor Viktor Frankl was arrested, he was thrown into a concentration camp where he remained for four years throughout the course of the war. After enduring unspeakable horrors after the war ended, Victor Frankl got out of the concentration camp, he resumed his career as a psychologist asking these critical questions. And as he reflected on his time in the concentration camp, he realized something strange. He realized that a lot of the time, the people you'd expect to survive the concentration camp weren't the ones who actually did. Like a lot of the time, you'd expect these people who were physically strong to make it, but they ended up withering away and, and not surviving. And yet there were a lot of people who were physically weak who managed to endure and to survive. What was that? What was the difference? And so Viktor Frankl looked back at the theories of Freud and Adler to try to find out, but, but he realized that they were both wrong. Neither one of them answered it. Like it, it couldn't be pleasure There's no pleasure to be had in the concentration camp. That couldn't be what got them through. It couldn't be power. There was no power or influence to be had there. That couldn't be what helped them endure. And so in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl argues that our fundamental need and drive as human beings isn't pleasure, it isn't power, it's hope. We need hope. That's that's what gets us through. And I hope that that's why you're here today. I don't know what kind of season of life you're in this morning. Maybe you're in a good season, things are going well, you've got uh, good relationships in the family, your finances are in order, you've got good friendships, you've got meaningful work that you get to devote yourself to. Maybe you're in a good season, and if that's you, I'm genuinely happy for you. And I also want to point you today to the deeper and most ultimate reason you have for living. But maybe you're here this morning and you're not in a good season, And maybe you're here today and you're tired, or you don't even know why you're here, or you don't know how to fix fix things with your spouse, or you got a kid who's wandering away and you don't know what to do with them, or or money's tight because the market's going crazy and gas is like $47 a gallon right now, and and you don't know what you're going to do, or you've got some habits that you can't kick, or your mind is plagued by depression or anxiety. Maybe you've even had some dark thoughts. Maybe you're just lonely. Or maybe on paper, your life looks pretty good right now. Seems like you should be having it all together and yet there's just something still gnawing inside of you. You're just not satisfied. You're looking for something more. And whatever season of your life you're in today, the the voices around you out there are gonna tell you to chase pleasure and power to satisfy that thirst. But I'm here to tell you that you need something deeper. You need something transcendent. You need hope. We need hope. And the reason that we're here this morning is because that hope is not a fantasy. Spoiler alert, our hope is that Jesus is alive. Christ is risen. risen Hey, you're quick learners. Well done. Well done. Good job. That's the truth that we celebrate here every week together as a church. And yet I've become convicted lately that most people here in Hendricks County that I talk to have at least kind of a face value understanding of that Jesus died for them and what that means. And yet most people I talk to do not have a face value understanding of what it actually means for their life. The take home value of the reality that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's still alive today. The resurrection kind of gets treated like, you know, it's you know Neil Armstrong landed on the moon in 1969. Like it's this amazing thing that happened back here in the past that doesn't really have any bearing on how I live in the present. But what I wanna argue this morning is that if this is true, If Jesus really is alive, it changes everything and it demands a response from us. I heard the story of a a lady who looked out the window and she was horrified to see her German shepherd shaking the life out of her neighbor's beloved pet rabbit. So the lady grabs a broom, you know, runs outside to the backyard, smacks her dog a few times until the dog drops the rabbit. And by this point, I mean, this rabbit is just all covered in dirt and gross and extremely dead. Dead. And so she kind of like scoops up the rabbit, you know, takes him inside, flops him over in the shower, turns the water on, lets the water start cleaning this rabbit off. And eventually she kind of scrapes it like out onto the floor and starts drying it off with a hair dryer. (laughs) Thank you. I'm sorry. Gets the rabbit all cleaned up, and then she watches out the window, waiting for her moment. And when she sees her neighbor go across the street to get the mail, the lady grabs the rabbit and runs out, hops the neighbor's fence, goes into the neighbor's backyard, and props up this rabbit corpse there in its cage. She had this rabbit looking good. I mean, fur combed the whole nine yards, right? Runs back into her house and waits. And then, sure enough, a few minutes later, she hears this blood-curdling stream. Lady, lady goes outside. Oh, no, what's wrong? <laughs> and the neighbor says, it's, it's Fluffy, my rabbit. He died two weeks ago, and we buried him, and now he's back. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are really gracious for my dumb jokes today. I appreciate it. Listen, the reason we're laughing at that is that we know resurrection doesn't happen, right? Dead things tend to stay dead, <laughs> Imagine somebody you love who's, who's passed away. Let's call her Aunt Susie, okay? Like imagine she's passed away, but you go home today and Aunt Susie is sitting there on your couch watching Netflix, eating Oreos out of your pantry. <laughs> what would you do, right? Like that would blow a hole in your entire framework of reality. At that moment, everything else fades into the background and the only important question in your life is, did Aunt Susie really just raise from the dead? And if so, what in the world does that mean? And the same thing is true for us today. Like whatever questions you have right now, questions about you know, the afterlife or, or prayer, questions about the Bible's stance on you know, finances or sexual ethics, or you've know, got questions about marriage or is Jesus really the only way to heaven? Like all, all those questions are important and we wanna work through them together as the body of Christ, as this church family. But i also would like to humbly submit to you that all of those questions are secondary, And that the first and most important question you could ever ask is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did he really rise from the dead? The entire reason that I'm a follower of Jesus today is because I've looked long and hard at that question, and I have found the only reasonable answer to be yes. Here's what a guy in the Bible named Paul says. He says it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul's saying the most important thing, the most important question you could ever ask is, Is this true? Did Jesus die on that cross for you? Did he lay dead in the tomb for three days? Then did he rise from the dead and is he reigning right now as king of the universe? That's the most important thing. Because if the answer is no, then look at this. If the answer is no, Paul says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Like it can't just be a good story. This has to have actually happened. Because if it didn't happen, verse 17, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if this is not true, if Jesus is not physically alive today, you should stand up right now and you should leave. You should get to the restaurant before everybody else so you can get your food without having to wait, right? This is all pointless. But if the answer is yes, that this is true, then this is the most important question you could ever ask. And the second question we have to ask is, okay, what does this mean? What difference does it make for our lives that Jesus is alive? And I'd like to walk through three differences with you today that it means for your life. And the first one is this. If Jesus is alive, you can change. You can change. Um, I don't know what kind of person you are, but me, I'm, I like to set goals, you know, maybe you're a New Year's resolution person, but all of us, we have these hopes and these dreams, right, of who we want to be and, and what we want to do with our lives, and, and so we, we try hard to become this person. We try harder to do better, and we wake up in, this, in the morning and we say, okay, today is the day that I'm going to be different, and yet we're not, are we? Like I'm, I'm still the same old me. I still snap at my kids. I still get frustrated at people who annoy me. I still get worked up and riled up by little things that shouldn't matter as much as they do. And I, I try harder and sometimes I do better for a few days, but I keep on slipping back because I'm still me. So it begs the question, like, is change really even possible? And if Jesus is alive, the answer is yes. Tomorrow morning, I'm gonna hop on a plane and I'm gonna go to Rome And I'm going to get to walk through the Mamertine prison where a guy named Peter was in jail for his allegiance to Jesus. And he was executed because he followed Jesus and preached Jesus. And that's amazing because if you look at Peter's early life, he was a hothead, he was a coward, he denied Jesus. So, what changed in his life? He met the risen Jesus and he was changed. And then I'm going to get on a plane, I'm going to fly to Athens. And I'm gonna to get to stand on a hill called the Areopagus where 2,000 years ago, a guy named Paul stood up before the Greek philosophers and he argued that Jesus is actually alive and that because Jesus has been risen from the dead, God has made Jesus Lord over everything. And that's amazing because just a few years before that, Paul had been the biggest opponent of Christianity. So what changed in his life? He met the risen Jesus and he was changed. Then I'm gonna get on another plane and I'm gonna to fly to Tel Aviv and I'm gonna to get to walk the hills of Galilee there in Israel where Jesus' own ministry was. And there in those hills of Galilee, Jesus met a woman named Mary. Mary had a rough past. Nobody would have trusted Mary. You did not want Mary on your team. But when Jesus died and rose from the dead, who did he choose to be the first person to carry the greatest news of all time? He chose Mary. She went running back to Jesus' followers with the words that changed the world. She said, I've seen the Lord. What changed? She met the risen Jesus and she was changed. And then we're gonna hop on a bus and we're gonna drive down to Jerusalem and I'm gonna get to see there, the places where the early church met. The early church was led by a guy named James. James was Jesus's half brother. Mary and Joseph had some kids after Jesus. Can you imagine like the pressure? Can't you be like your brother, you know? Um, And so like, we don't throw stones at James because James, he didn't actually believe in Jesus. Like during Jesus' ministry, he didn't buy into it. He didn't believe that Jesus was divine. Can you imagine believing your brother if he said he was the son of God? Yeah, I wouldn't either, right? So what changed? After Jesus' death and resurrection, he met the risen Jesus and he was changed. I'm here to tell you that if Jesus is alive, you can change too. It's one of the reasons I love my job. I think I got the best gig in the world because I get to sit down and hear the stories of how Jesus changes people's lives. And I get to have conversations with people in our church who have been through addictions to to drugs and alcohol and porn and they've seen those addictions be broken. And I get to see marriages recover from the brink and I get to see people who have, have healed from, from the woundedness of abuse and divorce. I get to see people who have found forgiveness for spouses who have cheated on them. I get to see people who have learned that money can't buy them happiness. I get to see people who've exchanged bitterness and anger for joy and love. I get to see people who have come out of utter brokenness and dysfunctional homes and bad patterns of destructive behavior and yet they've been changed. How? It's not because I'm smart. It's not because they're strong. It's because Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, you can change too. So how do we change? It begs the question, right? And the answer is what's called union with Christ. This is the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you get to have union with Christ. That means it's what's true of him becomes true of you. Now that's amazing. We've said this here that it's like putting a dollar bill in a book. If you put a dollar bill in a book, all of a sudden what is true of the book becomes true of the dollar, where the book goes, the dollar goes. And the same thing is true with you. When you are in Jesus and he is in you, that means that like Jesus' resurrection becomes your resurrection. We're gonna get to see some baptisms in a little bit. We're gonna get to see people experience this in front of our own eyes. And that same guy, Paul, whose life was changed by Jesus, he says it like this in Romans six. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. So like when Jesus died, you died. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live a new life. His resurrection is your resurrection. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is how we change. We change by being united with Jesus. You don't change by trying harder to be better. You don't even change by trying hard to be like Jesus. You change by waking up every morning and opening yourself to him and surrendering yourself to the reality again that it's not just you trying to be better, it's you allowing Jesus to live his life through you. So if you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus, but you haven't surrendered to him, or if you're here this morning and and you believe that this is true, but you haven't been baptized into him and experienced union with him, Please, my friends, don't put it off because there's a new life waiting for you. I'm going to be up here for most of the rest of the service. We've got a few baptisms. You can always go to our website, plainfieldchristian.com. Click on the baptism tab. We would love to walk with you to find new life in Jesus because if Jesus is alive, you can change. And the good news is that Christ is risen. risen Here's the second thing. If Jesus is alive, you can change and you have purpose. You have purpose. Now, if this life is all there is, If we're just stuck in this same old space time continuum and these same old aging bodies, then what's the point, right? You might as well chase pleasure. You might as well chase power. Even Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If this is all we got, there's no real meaning to it. But what if there is? Uh, maybe if you paid attention in school better than I did, you learned about a guy named Abraham Maslow. who's another psychologist who asked those questions like Adler and Freud and Victor Frankl did. And Maslow came up with what he called the, the hierarchy of human need. He found five basic needs that he thought we need as human beings. I think we'll have the pyramid up here. At the very base level, we all have physical needs like food, water, shelter, security, air, you need to breathe, those kinds of things. At the second level of the pyramid, you have your safety needs. Like you need a good job. You need, you need security. You need some level of stability in your life. And for those of us who live in the first world, most of us in this room have not had to ever really fight for those needs. They've just kind of been handed to us, except when this pandemic hit, right? And all of a sudden, those needs are yanked out from under us, and that's why everything above it crumbled the last two years. But we have physical needs, safety needs, then you got these like relationship needs, love and belonging, connection, intimacy, you need a, a community. And then from there, once you have those established, the needs turn internal, You have esteem needs, you need to be respected, you need to feel valuable, you need to know that what you're doing has worth. And then Maslow said, your deepest need as a human being is self-actualization. You need to become the best version of you that you can be. And we hear that a lot, don't we? And it's easy to look at this pyramid and see power and pleasure all throughout. Power and pleasure can help you climb that pyramid a little ways. They can. But Every now and then, uh, social science like, catches up with the Bible, and social scientists are saying that now, actually, Maslow wasn't quite right. There's a deeper need that we all have. There's another level to this pyramid. It's called transcendent needs, that each of us has the desire to become a part of something bigger than us, something that will live beyond us and outlast us, and so we see people around us chasing transcendence. The Bible says that's a natural thing to do, that God's put eternity in the human heart, And so we see people chasing transcendence with a crazy, thrilling, pleasurable experience that'll snap them out of their mundane, everyday realities. You see people chasing transcendence with power, trying to build something that will outlast them or trying to make the world a better place or become a better person. And those things are fine, but they're not transcendent. Death still ends those things. But the good news is, you have access to something transcendent, that if Jesus is alive, you can be alive, and you have an eternal future. And that means that everything you do in this life, it doesn't cease with death. The things we do in this life echo into eternity. The conversations you have, the words you choose, the love that you give, all of it has an eternal purpose. That's why Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Your work is not in vain. Your life has purpose because Jesus is alive. You have an eternal future that starts right now. And if that's true, shouldn't that radically reshape everything we do? Like if Jesus is really alive, if we will be resurrected with him, if heaven and hell are real places, Then for the next four weeks as a church, we wanna look at how those eternal realities affect our life here in the here and now. So we're gonna talk about an eternal perspective on finances and work and marriage and parenting for the next four weeks. I hope that you'll join us back for that because your life has purpose and we wanna help you find it. If Jesus is alive, you have purpose. And the good news is that Christ is risen. risen Here's the third thing. If Jesus is alive, you can change, you have purpose, and you have hope. You have hope. Maybe you're hearing all this um, today and you still got some questions, honestly, or or maybe you have some doubts. This all just sounds crazy. You're not totally ready to cash in your chips on Jesus and hesitant to get your hopes up. And I get it, that's okay. Uh, Jesus had a follower named Thomas who was actually skeptical about his resurrection too. The other disciples had all seen the risen Jesus, but not Thomas. So look at what happened here in John chapter 20. It says, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. For those of you who believe this, that is a blessing straight from the lips of Jesus to you. And Thomas realizes that if Jesus is actually alive, everything's changed. If Jesus is alive, that means Jesus is Lord and God, and that means that hope is a real possibility. And if I could just crack the door on my heart for you this morning, I've been really burdened lately by the sheer number of people in Hendricks County who believe that Jesus is alive and yet it hasn't made much of a difference in their everyday lives. The people who believe that this story is true and yet they haven't done what Thomas did. They haven't fallen down and said, my Lord and my God. The people that I see who are burdened by shame and they are shackled and enslaved by fear and they are spending their years trying to ignore or outrun their own death or they're spinning their wheels chasing power and pleasure, trying to become something they can never be on their own. They can't chase transcendence with earthly means because there's no hope in it. But I'm encouraged when I see the lives of the people in this church who have built their life on this truth that Jesus is alive and Christ in them, And it brings change to their lives and purpose to their work. And it brings them hope even in the face of death. This last week, I got to sit at the bedside of a woman who's dying. And it wasn't a time that's without grief. Death is the enemy. But the Bible says we don't grieve as those who are without hope. It wasn't a time of uncertainty or anxiety. It was a time of confidence and anticipation because this woman had lived her life clinging to Jesus. And so even in death, she's still clinging to him. And because it's alive, it was a moment of hope. And that's my story too. I went through a season in college where I wrestled with my faith really deeply about whether or not to really cash in my chips on Jesus, if it was worth it, if it was real. And I asked two key questions that got me here. The same two questions I've asked you today. Question number one, is Jesus alive? And I looked at the story, I examined the evidence and what's happened since then, and I determined that the only reasonable answer is yes, he is. And so the second question is, if that's true, what does that mean? And for me, that meant that, All my other opinions, all my other doubts, all my other questions, everything else fell by the wayside because if Jesus is alive, that means he is worthy of my allegiance and my affection, period, end of sentence. That's it. And that was good for me because in that same season, February of 2013, my mom started going through some health troubles. And I was there in the room when the doctor came in and said that word that everybody dreads to hear, cancer. Um, And it wasn't good we didn't know how it was gonna end. She was 46 years old, six kids at home. And I wrestled deeply with God. I stormed out one night. I put a hole in my parents' living room wall on the way out the door. And I just yelled at God, I didn't know what to do. God, how could you allow this to happen? But a few days later, some family friends came over and they gathered there in that same living room around my mom's chair. And in the face of the uncertainty and the pain, They sang. They started singing about the hope they had in Jesus. And they sang words like, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And they sang words like, some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. And they sang words like, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul, worship his holy name. And they sang words like, and on that day, when my strength is failing, when the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and forevermore. And in that moment, the hope of resurrection pierced my soul. If you go to my parents' living room today, the hole is still in the wall, they haven't fixed it. <laughs> but you know what's hanging over that hole? family picture from Easter. (laughs) This is our hope, church. Christ is our hope in life and death, and he is alive, and I want you to know that that same kind of unbreakable, unshakable, rock-solid resurrection hope can be yours, because that same guy named Peter, who had his life changed by Jesus, he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. If Jesus is alive, then I want you to tattoo these words on your heart. If Jesus is alive, there's no such thing as hopeless. And Christ is risen. He is risen if you've got communion on your way in, go ahead and take that out. Uh, we're gonna see some people be baptized that, Baptism and union with Christ, that's how you get into the family of God. But communion, this thing we do every week, this is the family meal. I'm gonna give you a moment on your own to take the piece of bread. And that represents Jesus's body. It was nailed to that cross so that you could be free. And then I'll pray and we'll take the juice together that represents Jesus's blood that spilled from his side as he was whipped, as a crown of thorns was jammed on his head, as the spear pierced his side so that you could be washed clean in the sight of God. But we know his death wasn't the end of the story, was it? So let's tell him thank you. King Jesus, you are risen and you reign as king over everything. So for those here today who are in you, I'm asking that you would fill their hearts with your hope. Give them purpose for their life. And for those here, Lord, who need to fully surrender to you, Lord, bring them in, draw them close to you, and change us, God. We thank you for your death that has given us forgiveness. We thank you for your resurrection that has given us hope. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Christ.